welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Lance Brown, who is the one of the co-founders of Rhino Medical Supply. And this is a great story of, of sort of necessity being the mother of invention meets one of the greatest business opportunities of all time in the midst of one of the worst periods of all time during COVID here. Lance and his team uh, formed a business out of a bunch of different parts and a bunch of different people that all sort of came together in the right place at the right time. I think you'll learn a lot in this episode because I know I did. Stay tuned. Well, today uh, we're sitting down with Lance Brown, who's the co-founder of Rhino Medical Supply here in here in Columbia. Lance, thanks for sitting down with us and giving us some, some of your time. Um, you know, as we've gotten to know each other and you told me the story of, of Rhino and not only how you got started, but when you got started and then what that was like in terms of just this super growth curve that you guys have been on. I thought, you know, this is definitely a story that, that people need, need to hear. And not even necessarily because you grew so quickly. I mean, that's a great story, but also just what it's like to be in the midst of, of growth like that. But maybe before we get to that, why don't you just take us to the beginning of Rhino, maybe what you were doing and, and where the idea came from and, and just how you how you got this thing off the ground. Got it. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Sure. This is awesome. And uh, Rhino is a very unique story. And I'm, thank you for allowing me to share it. I feel like... Still to this day, we're like we're drinking from a water hose. You always hear the whole cliche, you know, building the, the plane as you fly it. That's kind of where we are. Um, but there's been a lot of clarity and a lot of purpose in the middle of it that's kind of helping us there, you know, towards our vision. So, Rhino, 2013, I started my first business as a hookah spot and I worked full time for Wells Fargo. So, I always say I was like a play play entrepreneur, didn't really have the, the fear or thread of if it didn't work out, we were still good because I had a full-time job at sure. Wells Fargo. So, but I thought I knew a lot about business. And then in 20, uh, December 1st, 2017, we left Wells Fargo. It was me and three other partners to start our own business quite fast. And my role at Wells Fargo, I was over the Southeast for merchant services. So anytime you think about electronic forms of payment, um, a business, 2022, you almost have to take a credit sure. card or a debit yeah. card. So that's what I did. I had Western North Carolina at one point, South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, and I always say Mississippi. Literally, Wells Fargo had one branch in the state of Mississippi, so it allowed me to claim the whole state. Sure, yeah. So I was real proud of that. Um, and so we left Wells Fargo to do what we were doing for the bank for ourselves. And that was like my first really like punch in the face. Like, all right, now I'm an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Like all of the things that you had at your disposable, disposable at Wells Fargo, you have to create, whether it be a report, business cards, template, like all of that. Sure. You kind of get lost when you work for a corporation and it's just there. Um, so fast forward to 2019, we were growing at, at Swipe and we needed a rep in the upstate. So I was stalking people on on LinkedIn. And we're the, the best thing about our experience at Wells Fargo that we got used to talking to and facing up with a certain type of customer. So not, we go door to door, don't knock it. That's, that's a grind in itself. But with a bank, you're typically teed up with a relationship like, hey, here's Lance. He handles this for me. Sure. You know, whether it be well, treasury, you merchant. The, yeah, you got that brand behind you. You, you got, got I work for Wells Fargo. People know. 1852 and a stagecoach. Sort of what that is. So yeah. coming in, whether they liked you or not, they knew your brand. Right. So it helps you. So it kind of it builds super, you know, fake maybe confidence of if it's you or if it's the brand. Mm -hmm. um, so we were looking for a certain type of rep that kind of support upstate. And I found a guy named Trip Robinson 
uh, in Greenville. And what attracted me to Trip was that he had 20 plus years in medical sales. Didn't know how it was going to turn into a business opportunity later, but I was like, the fact that he is in medical sales, he's used to talking to a certain type of customer. So we brought him on for Swipe. A year later, uh, COVID comes and it hits. One of my partners in Swipe, our majority partner, had made a really good living, him and his dad, real estate company. Mm-hmm. And he just, we were in a meeting, I remember it. COVID hit, we deal with merchants. We were merchant services, so we deal with business. Everybody's business, we're closing their doors. So like, well, if they're not able to take payments, what is it gonna mean for us? What's gonna be the impact for us? And um, I remember our partner saying, hey, I got it. I just got a feeling like this is just kind of how it works. Like sometimes during crisis opportunities arise and I have contacts in China and we're gonna, we're gonna start PPE. We're gonna start a PPE company. Wow. So he did that and we were brokering for him and through Trips relationships that he already had with hospitals, literally everybody were desperate. If you could get a mask, you, you got an opportunity to earn business. So that's how it started. So we were brokering for someone else and we had a disagreement on the uh, on the commission. And it's not even about the amount of money, it was just like principal. Like if it's sure. if it's $2 and you pay me one and it's just principal. That was the catalyst of starting Rhino. But that's fascinating how, you know, the building blocks for the business that we're here to talk about were laid well before the business. I mean, in other words, yes, there was an opportunity that occurred through COVID but it sounds like a lot of the foundation was already there, sort of under under your nose. So yes, yeah. actually, I think about that a lot too. I think um, if we had to learn business for the first time, it would be really challenging. And the thing we didn't have to learn how to run a business, but we'd already had our pitfalls. Sure. Still do. We had hurdles. A lot of things we'd already figured out the hard way. We'd done with Swipe. So when we started right now, we were able to scale faster because of the things that we'd already figured out in our past the past two years. Um, and I think that's just a lesson in general that so many things are transferable from one business to another, whether you're in corporate or you work for yourself. So then going to Rhino. So Rhino, one of the first things we knew, we needed a transparent uh, sales model, right? Because that's what right. hurt us. That's what That was the catalyst to us starting Rhino. Me having sales experience, sales manager managing a team remote. First thing we did was we built a transparent model of how we get paid. Because with reps, with salespeople, they're always thinking like, did he take, did I get what I deserve? Sure. So if you know, if you understand how we get paid as a company and then how you get paid, there's no ambiguity. Yeah. Everything is just on the table. Well, compensation, that's the ultimate employee benefit. I mean, that's 100%. why everyone has a job. If you And salespeople are a little bit to be compensated. Uh, extreme about compensation, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of salespeople are motivated by money. So like having a, a system and a plan in place where they understand how they get paid allows you to grow faster because then everybody's aligned. So that's kind of what we did. So we brought on a guy. It was four of us, four partners when we first started. We brought on a guy uh, in Ohio and his business for the last 13 years, he had just got laid off. and But he worked for group purchasing organizations, selling them tests in the healthcare space. So it couldn't have been a more perfect wow. fit because now we're in the healthcare, healthcare space, brand new industry, no industry experience. Literally, we had people with retail, banking, some medical sales, but no medical distribution. And he just really started hitting his contacts. And it went from, you know, one customer to 10 customers to 35 customers and in different states. And I always say it's kind of weird because we're in the state of South Carolina. Our first customer in the state bought a million masks from us. The second customer (laughs) bought 100,000 gowns. And then it was just kind of, that was it. It was literally everybody outside of the state of South Carolina. So I don't know if you would do it if you planned it that way. You'd probably start from the inside out, but we started from the outside in. But we built a nationwide footprint. Um, we were up to like 35 states by, we, our official start date was May 7th, 2020. So we turned two in a few months. 
And by June, we were already in 35 states and we had some of the biggest systems and customers that you can imagine already because everybody was desperate. And just going back to the opportunity, when you think about um, 2020, early parts of 2020, when COVID really first came here, the bigger states, the bigger hospital systems were just getting hammered. I mean, you, if you look on the news, it was California and New York, and they were consuming all of the PPE goods. Even from a, a human capital standpoint, a lot of the nurses were going to those states to help out. Mm -hmm. And what happens is supply and demand, if, if uh, or just really supply chain in general, if one customer or one state or region is taking up all of the demand, then all the supplies are going there. And then typically what happens is the folks Rural states, smaller systems are, are the ones left out in the wind. So we found a need to really support the smaller underserved rural systems who didn't need a million masks. They only needed like a hundred. So is it fair to say that, that even larger medical supply companies were also focusing on the larger um, demand areas, you know, sort of the, the McKessons of the world and things like yes. that. And then comes Rhino and blind into spots. literally the rest of the market. Yes, and to, to that point, I think I, I, I relate it to the bank too. So coming from Wells Fargo, we were a large bank, maybe the largest. We had branches and ATMs on every corner. Sure. But we still have blind spots. We were, mm. you know, technology is great, but the, the credit like the unions- Like the state of Mississippi. Like the state of Mississippi. We have a huge blind spot. Yeah. Um, but the credit unions were still uh, able to earn relationships better because they were more hands-on they were able to actually to do, instead of it being transactional, like understanding who their customers were and it wasn't just put your information in the system, click a button and it's, it's either green or it's red and there's no in, in between. So there was always blind spots that even as a big bank that the credit unions just did better than us. So the best problem to have as a business is when everybody wants your services or yeah. products. But when everybody's making a run on you at the same time, then you have to tell some people no. And when you tell people no, it creates lanes for people like us to come in and kind of fill those gaps. And that's what we did. And and what we knew early on is that we didn't want to be brokers. This was an opportunity where the barrier to entry was really low. It was like a broomstick on the ground. All you have to do is walk over it. Wow. And you can earn relationships to make this sustainable. So it's up to us to kind of drive our business into a different model to where we're just not brokering, but actually becoming a distribution company so that when COVID is over, and hospitals and healthcare systems can pick who they want to do business with, they still want to come to us because mm -hmm. we helped them when they needed it the most. So how are you laying that groundwork to be that that sort of provider of, of choice? The first thing we did when we started, we were in a room literally like outside of my garage. <laughs> so to give you some perspective, I play uh, FIFA in it now. I play PlayStation okay. in it. So it was that small. And we had, uh, we, we hooked up with a, this is important too, because a lot of the U.S. manufacturers who were making something else prior to COVID had to pivot to keep their lights on and their people paid. Okay. So they start answering the call and they start making the PPE that our healthcare workers needed, whether it be gowns. There was a local company in Columbia that started making the face shields. Yeah, um, yeah, Zverse. Yeah, Zverse. Yeah, so it was a lot of companies like them that kind of pivoted, that kind of saw that like we need it. Frontline heroes really need it and everything is coming from China. So you had the threat of trade, tariffs, customs, like it just, it was just unreliable. Sure. So we hooked up with a uh, with a manufacturer in, in Miami, Florida called Demitech. And they've been in the business forever making sutures, but they've never made masks. So they made an N95. So that was our first opportunity to actually be a distributor and not having to worry through about somebody else's, rely on somebody else's supply chain, but we can go direct to the distributor, order it, 
And instead of it coming from China, it's coming from Miami and, and the customer gets it in three days versus 90 days. Yeah. So that gave us an opportunity. Yeah. But then we were, so we were growing. We were, we sold three, 400,000 of their masks before they even had their NIOSH approval. Um, and we we're like, all right, it's probably time to move out of the garage. <laughs> so you know, my, my wife's like, I don't know how many more boxes or cases we can keep in here. Like we got to park our cars. So, oh, so you were like the warehouse also. Oh yeah. The garage was the warehouse. Wow. And it was crazy. It was just like, you know, 20 cases of this, five cases of that. Um, and it was to the point where we needed a little bit more space. And we didn't know what we needed. Um, so we found the warehouse and it was like, you know, 12, 15,000 square feet. And we we're like, I don't know how we're going to fill it up. But the rent is a decent price and we can afford to be here. It's empty. And then three months later, that thing is full with products. And that's kind of been our story. I joke, it's kind of corny. And so we're like the kid in the 99th, um, height percentile where you're just like growing in and out of everything really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of been our story. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, it's, 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 you're, you're in a time that, I mean, nationally was just stressful. I mean, people were dealing with, with COVID and the effects personally, dealing with it through their, their, their work, school, their families and things like that. So that's, that's the overlay. You're starting a company that is, successful in that your phone's ringing or the emails are coming in, or I think even you guys were on Shopify. Shopify's yeah. getting blown That's up. That's an interesting story. With too, demand. Yeah. But talk to us about like how, like the rigors of fulfilling that kind of demand, because in a, in a way, I mean, you guys are in the business of just coming through for people. Yep. Huge demand, gotta have it, critical goods. They're counting on you. They're trusting you mm -hmm. to get the job done that you, sort of has sold them. Take us inside what it was like in the company to, to have that kind of pressure. It was nonstop work. And I think hindsight being 2020. By nonstop, you mean like really nonstop? Six, 16, 18 hours a day. Wow. Because we were developing a supply chain. You know, we okay. were developing our own relationships so we didn't have to rely on anything else. I mean, we've, we've, we've got some crazy stories, but nothing is more exciting and depressing when you get money to provide something, then you have to wire all of that money back because you couldn't. So mm -hmm. that was like a driver of like, we have to develop our own supply chain and our own relationships, our own direct to manufacture. So we're not relying on somebody else to say, yeah, I got it. It's in a warehouse in Texas. And then it just never shows up. Sure. And then you got to give your customers money back. So it was a lot of time. And I think hindsight 2020, what I've learned is that literally, I think you can learn anything um, if you put in the amount of hours, not necessarily years or months or days, you know, you can learn literally, like if you do something 10, 15 hours a day, you're gonna be pretty good at it. Mm. Versus if you do something an hour a week for five years, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So it was that type of thing where we put in a lot of time to understand the products, what we were doing, how to, to develop um, like a supply chain to work direct, how manufacturing work, logistics. I had no idea what logistics even meant. Mm. Um, the first time I had to schedule freight, the, uh, the guy asked me for a BOL, Bill Layden. And I was like, what is BOL? I was like, well, you got to hand that to the to the guy. So when he picks up your stuff, he knows what he's picking up. I was like, oh, okay. First time ever doing that, you know, like how to to uh, wrap pallets. Like it was literally we were learning for the first time. And when you learn in a crisis or a global pandemic, it, it makes it really hard. And we talked to some of our peers that have been doing it for 20 years. It's like, well, we had to learn a lot of things for the first time, too, because we were just reliant on being able to go to these same people for everything that we never really diversified anything. Mm. So a lot of their learning were for the first time. So we were on the, on even playing field in some regards. We just had to put in a lot more work to kind of get caught up. 
How did you, I mean, how did you personally deal with all that stress? It was hard. I physically, I remember physically like getting sick, hmm. um, physically getting sick. And I'm one of those ones, I like to feel like I got a different gear, a high gear, and it's not always good. Um, also, of wife, um, my, my daughter just turned a nine and a seven-year-old, so then that's seven and five at the time. They don't care nothing about your business. Your kids don't. Right. <laughs> so like being able to be present and spend time with your family and then, make, and then still also grow a business when it's just exploding, it was challenging. I struggled with that, honestly, to, to, to find balance um, with that. And I'm one of those ones, once I feel like I'm in a good spot, then I can kind of you know, gear down a little bit on that particular area and then work on something else. But it was just everything needed work because it was for the first time. So now that maybe a lot of the the sort of the the, the heavy pressure of COVID and that high demand for PPE and the sourcing and all that has, has sort of subsided. I mean, it's not over yet, but it's not what yep. it was you right. know, 18 months ago. What are the lessons from kind of that hyper growth? What, what are those lessons that y'all are employing now into Rhino to make it more durable, to maybe make it so that it's not a, 12 plus hour a day job. Yep. I mean, what are those things that y'all learned and you're pulling from that that are still in the process? Yeah, so the, the work ethic is still important because what just by nature, by what we do is a, this is a slow sales cycle that they don't <laughs> just make decisions. Um, for instance, if we had to start this business this year, 2022 would be impossible just from the capital LA. We, we started our business with 10 grand and we were able to do that because the healthcare system and hospitals funded the PO up front. So if it was $100,000, they would wire you $100,000 and they trusted you to make sure that they got their investment and what they ordered to them. And we were able to deliver on that. Nowadays, that same PO, you have to give them a net 30 term. Mm -hmm. So being able to meet customers where they are, because now what we're asking, we want to be in the big leagues and we want to swim with the sharks. So we can't say, "Well, well, you have to pay us up front. So, you know, transitioning our business to where we can actually meet customers where they are, their standard operating procedures, and also not just be a COVID-related business. So a lot of the stuff that we sell now is not COVID-related PPE. We got a request for the socks. So if you have surgery and the socks that they, they put you yeah. in with the confetti, that, um, syringes, okay. saline bags. So literally anything underneath a hospital roof, we sell and, we, and, and that's what we offer. So the same things that our competitors offer, we want that. So when COVID is over, they're still coming to us because they still need supplies, batteries, like just anything that you think of that a hospital can use and need. We have, we work with over 700 manufacturers. Yeah, and so it sounds like, you know, that goodwill that you built up by being that kind of go-to supplier for people that were maybe overlooked or couldn't get their orders fulfilled somewhere else, you guys filled that gap during sort of an emergency for lack of a better word, that now that the emergency has subsided they're expanding what they're asking from you yep. is what it sounds like. And it takes more, I mean, we we made a um, conscientious decision to invest back into our business to build our infrastructure so that we can be here after COVID. Um, that first, so from May until December, we did $8 million in sales. So we got off to a fast start. Um, but a lot of that had to be reinvested into infrastructure to growing so that we can, you know, the days of people paying us up front, we got to be able to finance that. And then, as you know, from a banking standpoint, banks are not giving you any type of, most banks are not going to give you any type of line of credit or loan within, without two years financials. Right. So how do you have a young company that's months old, that's having hyper growth? We don't need money to pay, you know, payroll or the light bill. We need money to 
to be able to earn more business, but you're not really bankable yet. Yeah. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, and the ways we use, we lev- we actually leveraged our experience on the merchant side to to overcome that. You know, we had credit card processing side. We started with Amex. Amex gave us a fifteen thousand uh, dollar limit. We had to pay it off every month. Yeah. So we would buy fifteen thousand dollars worth of product, pay it off, and then it would go to twenty, and then it would go to thirty, and then if we had a big deal, we would prepay it. Like we had one that was like seventy k. So we we wired Amex seventy k. Now we have a seventy k limit, and we got to the point where we were spending like three four hundred thousand dollars a month on our Amex, um, oh, and that yes. allowed us to offer terms to our customers because we had thirty days to pay it. We knew that the hospital was going to pay us in 30 days. So we were able to grow without having the support from the bank yet, um, you know, just using our credit cards. And that's yeah. something we knew from our background. Yeah. And that's something I think you and I have talked about in previous conversations. That I think it's sort of lost on on people that just aren't in this world is that or in this sort of business model in that um, it, it takes money, money inside of the business to keep the business going. It's not just that you sell something and you get a check and then you can use that money for whatever. You know, a lot of times a, lar- a large amount of the sale yep. is being used to fund the next sale, rinse and repeat, yes. you know, multiple times. I mean, you know, getting started with, you know, I think most people, if they heard they had a $300,000 balance on their American Express card, would, little, would sort of freak nervous, out. Yeah. But for a business yep. that that you guys are running with the type of revenue, that that's actually probably small. That's, I mean, it's, it's, that's it's, one PO. It's that's one, yeah, one order. Yep. And wow. you have to manage it to the penny. So you miss opportunities, but you're like, you can't take in everything. So one could be for two hundred dollars, one could be for a million, one could be for twenty thousand. So it's not we don't have unlimited capital, so you have to make really tough decisions on which opportunities makes the most sense for you. And and that's a challenge. And I'm really passionate about like helping you know, being a voice and advocate for small businesses who are experiencing growth to have access to capital so that their business can grow even faster. Because um, a lot of times that's the difference. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because that, that's sort of a subject that's near and dear to my heart also professionally. But but what is, what would you say to that to that business that's, that's having, that's where you were, you know, in terms of being able to fund the business, fund uh, business growth, what are some lessons you've taken away from from your experience in that? I think if you have a um, a paying customer, this is a good thing. If you have a paying customer and you have a good business, then there's always going to be people that's willing to help you with that receivable. Mm-hmm. Always. Now, what the cost is is a different story. Sure. And what you have to give up in order to do that. So you still have to be smart. So as we grew, and you know, customers and some of partners knew that we wasn't just in it you know, a splash in the, in the pan type thing. Then we were able to work, you know, one-offs more on the private side to get stuff done. Um, we had a really good partner that really, you know, believed in us. And we had a deal for a hospital in the, in the Northeast that needed a container of gloves. It was a half a million, it was a half a million dollar order. Now, we knew that we were gonna get paid within 60 days. So the money's guaranteed, but we still needed a half a million. So we were able to partner in order to get deals done like that. So I would think, uh, to, my advice would be, if you're a small business and you have a good product, you have a good service, and you have a customer that's willing to pay you, there's always gonna be someone that's willing to help you get that business done. You just gotta figure out, you know, if they're really, really being opportunistic, obviously it's business, and there's gotta be something in it for them. But genuinely, a lot of folks just wanna help, and they wanna see, they see the potential in your business, they see the potential in you, and they, they like your story, and they're willing to, to, to help and put something on the line. 
maybe this might be a good way to end it, but but something I've I've noticed about you, Lance, and, and again, you and I don't know each other that well, but we've had we've had a, a lot of good conversations just about your experience and what you're doing. But you strike me as a pretty upbeat and positive person, and I know that's probably not like that all the time. But you know, what role does does positivity and and just kind of that upbeat attitude? What role does that play in your business, and where does that come from? Yeah, so that is that's interesting that you um, that you kind of pointed that out. That's how that's who I am, um, and it's not always good. It's not always hmm. good. I think sometimes you have to be grounded. I'm the type of person that thinks like literally I can jump up and and try to hang on the moon, and and it's good. To, you also need people in your camp. that's like all right, if you want to jump, then like I'm gonna help you spring up. But let's just make sure that the you know temperatures right and they're all all the elements are perfect for you to make that jump right. so and sometimes it's not good for you to go ahead and do crazy stuff so i'm one of those ones who are just always high energy i feel like i you know i get energy from meeting meeting with people i mm. learned in high school i wanted to be an engineer i thought i wanted to be an engineer and mm. i shadowed one for a day and after that day i was like i don't want to be an engineer because he's in the office and he's just working with machines like i get energy from talking to people mm. um so that's that's just how i am um for my parents the glass, is, the glass is always half full. Um, I took jujitsu. I got a blue belt in jujitsu before my daughter was born. And one of the things I liked about it, like everything that you can get in into, you can get out of. Mm. But you may have a split second before you're tapping out and choking. So that's the thing. Sure. So like literally if somebody gets you into something, you have an opportunity to get out of it. So even if it's like adversity or something that's tough, like I'm always saying like, all right, we're here now. So how are we going to get out of it? And I'm... I'm a forward thinker, future thinking. Sometimes it's better to be more in the moment and more present. My mind is always like looking forward. Um, so having like a team that kind of keeps everybody balanced. And I think that's what we have. We have everybody that's aligned in our vision and our goal, but we also have like different roles. You know, we have people that it's going to tell you no. You have people like, all right, if we're going to do it, we need to like measure first versus just like cut. Um, so yeah, so that's just who I am. That's my personality. I, I just love being around people. I get energy from it. Well, Lance, thanks for sitting down and talking to us about about this story. I, I know that that it, you're just in the early chapters of, of this, and it's going to be just fun to see where you guys take it, um, even just how you started the business and just kind of some of the lessons that, that I've taken out of it about teams, about network, about knowing people, and, and also I think having... I would say even the wisdom to know how to put people together, you know, like what skills do we need? What... what um, um, who knows who that can help us get something yes, that done? That is everything. Yeah. yeah, and it's just really neat to see how how you know you're a, a living sort of testament of how that can really really work in some times when there really wasn't a lot of things that were working. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> humbled by that, and I appreciate that. And that's my big last takeaway is literally how you treat people matters so much, and it could be a relationship that you fostered 20 years ago that 20 years later can turn into an opportunity. So like, that's the, that's the biggest takeaway is like treating people with like respect and decency, even if you don't agree. Like, so just the, how you foster relationships is really important. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And thanks again for your time. Thank you for, for creating a great business um, that that's helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah.